Welcome back to the second hour of Love Babs, Love Talk on Babs Rolls Ivy. I'm delighted to have uh, Anthony uh, Boogeyman Rucker uh, visiting this morning. And this is uniquely special because, you know, Anthony, um, hip hop is celebrating its 50th anniversary. And you come from that genre. Uh, You are a prolific poet and a, a welcome speaker and a doctoral uh uh psychology is it yeah i'm a, Psycho- I'm, I'm a doctoral intern and in yes doctoral <laughs> intern how are you and welcome i'm well and as a note me and hip-hop have the same birthday august 11th so <laughs> we when i was when i lived in new york i actually talked taught a history of hip-hop class and i i had fun in saying that we have the same birthday <laughs> hip-hop is a leo i just want to say that <laughs> That's not a, Put that if there's a, if there's a sign for hip hop, that would be a pretty good sign to be. Yes. So you yeah. have this new book out called um, uh, "Dear James," and I and I, I, I let me let me back up a little bit because you started out as a as an MC for uh, MC hip uh, hip hop MC, mm-hmm. uh, but you were you always were a poet. You uh, you did uh, you won a great many awards. You were on Showtime. Um, hip 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 hop at the Apollo. Showtime at the Apollo. Showtime at the Apollo, and uh, and you won, and you you're prolific, and people sing your praises, and you you vote. Uh, you were the nat- 1995 national uh, uh, um, ranked third place in the National Poetry Slam. So so poetry and hip hop are 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 in you. So talk to me about this this. This book, this homage to uh, James Baldwin, who I must say is uh, always relevant and forever timely, particularly in these moments. Yeah, um, James, I stumbled on James Baldwin with the fire next time. Mm. And it just changed my life. It is like the favorite book, you know, and it's like my required reading. If anybody asks like what book, James Baldwin, the fire next time, read all of this stuff. But um I just, I fell in love with Baldwin and it's funny because I don't finish some of his books because there's so many quotes in them that I like that I end up reading and resonating, thinking about that I have to go back and finish them. But to me, he was the greatest African-American mind. You know, nothing against King or X or anybody else. James Baldwin is my cat. You know, he's, he just says so many things that just it hits you in life, but it hits you with love and he still could have like anger. He's like a satin fist. He punches you, but it feels soft, but you feel it. You know, you feel the pressure, <laughs> but it's, it's a little bit of love and compassion in it. And I always like that about him. And so literally one of my mentors, we were doing a uh, poet, poet on um, a poem a day thing where we write from back forth to each other. And one day a Baldwin quote just hit me because they always hit me. And I did it. And then I was like, you know what? That felt good. And I have a book of James Baldwin quotes. And plus, I know other quotes. And next thing you know, I did another one. And I did another one. And it was very cathartic. And I'm like, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm actually working on the Dear James 2. 
I didn't want to make this long and drawn out where, you know, it was like an encyclopedia. But, you know, his his message for life, like I, even as a psychologist, when I talk to um, parents, I use one of his quotes. He said, our children have always had difficulty listening to us, but they've never failed to imitate us. Mm. And so, you know, I tell that to parents, like, why do they do that? I'm like, listen, you can say what you want, but they're going to imitate you. They're going to emulate you no matter what you say. So understand they're going to reflect more what you do than what you say. And I mean, that's a James Baldwin quote, but it's so applicable and it's so clinically sound. And I just, I love him for that, you know, and I love the fact that he also could speak in love, but speak in anger at the same time. And, you know, that's also disarming when someone can say something so scathing to you in such a nice tone. You're like, wait, did he just say what he said? Like, I don't know how I feel about that. They're like, because everything you hear about James Bolton, oh, he's such a nice guy, such great demeanor. But, you know, at one point he was considered one of the most dangerous black men in America. So it's just like, and you can't mute creativity. And that's the other part I like. With X and King, you can stop their platform. You can't stop a novel. You can't, you can't stop an essay. You can't stop a play. People are going to find art no matter what. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he did that and he used this platform to not only work out his personal issues, his personal demons, but actually help us work out ours. I thought that was like one of the greatest signs of service. And so he's always been my, he's always been my cat. Like, you know, this is the dude, like if you're going to read something, read that. And so that's how the book came about. And actually turning into a play that I'm um just um debuting in April. You know I I I I mean you sit right at the sweet spot of the crossroad crossroads of of hip hop and 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 where we are now. What what do you what do you make of this this new iteration of hip hop? And can we call it hip hop? What happened? Oh no that's just uh my my uh my 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 oh okay producer. i was like wait a minute it's like just... i'm like, like did i hang up on her like i didn't no you no my producer <laughs> put up your put up your book okay thank you so thank um, you harry so the thing about it is there's great hip-hop out now but the thing about it it's this it's a business and so it's controlled by a business model where they try to replicate and get people to buy what's out they're not trying to be innovative and then the people who are innovative, the, the, the movers and shakers, you got to search for them. You got to look and like, oh, wait a minute, that's a dope artist. That's a dope artist. And so right now, this is just hip hop is a reflection of the business and not the art. You know, mm. I, like I was absolutely amazed when I forgot who it was. And I don't, I don't want to cast aspersion anyway, but it was a hip, a, a popular hip hop artist. They're like, how come you don't talk about this, this, that and the other? And he's like, well, I'm rich, you know, I'm, you know, I rap about, you know, making money and what I do, you know, I don't, I don't talk about social issues. And I'm like, wow, hip hop was born as a mixture of partying and social issues. It was never separated. Like a Mary Baraka said in, in Blues People, he said, black art has always been functional. We've never made arts for art's sake. And it's at the point where now it seems that's what's happening. It's art for art's sake and it's for the purpose of propagating a lifestyle and making money. And it's not speaking to the people. And that's what you think if you look on the surface. But like I said, when you go under, you know, there's still artists making good music. You just have to find them. But if you're depending on the industry to do it for you, you can cancel that because they're not even interested. 
you know, and being on that side of it, I've seen the ask. Like I, you know, I got offered retirement money, but the ask was, I couldn't do it. I was just like, no, I'm not doing that because to get into it, they wanted me to do some ghetto trifling black stuff. And for it, they offered me the world. And I was just like, I, I can't do it, you know? And so it is a push to make what's popular and what makes money. And that's where it's at right now. And it's, you know, every video is either a woman shaking it behind or a brother claiming about how much money they have. It's, it's just, it's, it's criminality one-on-one. I mean, when the police are starting to use hip hop songs to solve crimes, you know, it's like, uh, this is, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I, like I mean, we laugh, day, we, but it's true, right? Like, yeah. And back in the day, you know, we wanted to keep our stuff secret. You know, we didn't tell <laughs> our best friend what we did. Now they put in crimes and, directions to the crimes and what they did that only the murderer and the killer knows. And it's like, wow, you know, before we reported on it, now you like snitching on yourself. Like, I don't, that's another thing too, you know? So it's just, it's a reflection of art for art's sake. And it's, and money is the, is the, is the, is the purpose now, you know, it's not, go ahead. I'm sorry. So it's not, you know, it's not a people business now. And so you have to do your, it's like doing research. Like, you know, when, you, when you're working on your doctorate, you got to parse through all of the irrelevant and just pseudoscience stuff to get to it. And so now you have to parse through hip hop to get to it. But the good part about it is we live in the age of the internet. So everybody can make stuff. Like my, fav, my favorite female artist doesn't have a CD out, but she has stuff on SoundCloud. You know, so I can go listen to her and I don't have to be limited by the business. So that's the good part about it. You know, we the age of the internet and you can get and see whatever you want. I was going to ask you, I'm glad you brought up that you have a, a favorite, well, female, uh, a woman uh, artist. Uh, are you surprised at not how far women have come in hip hop and, and this genre of, of, of music? Yeah, it's, it's like it got stuck in a time loop. You know, because at one point, you know, and let's be for real, America is a very misogynistic place. You know, they're not talking about black women. Have white women couldn't own property, you know, and if they inherited property, they would lose it to their husband once they got married, even if he never worked a day in his life. So America is a very oppressive place for women in specific and women, of, I mean, women in general and women in color in specific. And so at a time when it was like, OK, we want to take control of our sexuality. The sexuality became a, 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 a cognitive distortion, a detail abstraction, and it got blown up into the thing, you know, and not part of the thing. And based on the way the business is run, I'm, I'm not, you know, because now people are doing stuff for the money. It's like, OK, I need to feed myself. I need to take care of myself. And, you know, at one point, you know, you know, like the old saying, before I be a slave, I'd be buried in my grave. At one point, we care just as much about how we presented ourselves as the money. And I remember Ozzie Davis and Ruby D said it in an interview. They asked them, like, you know, how come you didn't get all of these big roles and this, that, and the other? And they like, they offered them to us, but we didn't take them. And they were like, why? They said, because we decided we wanted to be famous and rich, but not on their terms. And so we're not filthy rich, like, but we're not broke. You know, we're not, we're not needing infant thing, but we decided that we were going to decide the terms. 
And nowadays, the artists are not deciding the terms. They're going along with it and then trying to fix it on the back end if sometimes they're doing it. But, you know, if you got a billion views, you're not going to fix that on the back end. You have to fix it in the venue that you're putting out in. If it's mm. front page news, then you have to counteract it with front page news. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where they got caught in the middle. Because at the point that they were evolving, the record business devolved. And they were just like, you were caught in it. Like, they don't, they weren't looking for progressive rappers. I mean, think about X-Clan, D-Nice, ISIS, all of these people, you know, public enemy, you know, um, poor righteous teachers, Jungle Brothers. You know, at first that was a movement, but then all of a sudden, when the industry started changing, like, yo, the unconscious, the gangster, the ratchet, that's making more money. So that's at the time where women were evolving and coming into it. And they were like, nope, you don't want that. That's nice. But you're not going to be a, a female ex-clan and, and get a contract nowadays. It's just not going to happen. You know, so like I said, it's, it's, but there are some great female artists out who are making good music that's not this mess that, you know, I see. You know, so it, it's one of those things. They just caught, they got caught in the evolution. You know, and if the if the industry had evolved, they would have evolved, you know, in it. But you're not going to evolve in an industry that is trying to, you know, turn back evolution. Yes. So tell me about when you came to love poetry. How how does that because you you are a poet and 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 you you stand on that. So how do you when did you when did you know this? I was a poet before I was a rapper. And I didn't know it. James Baldwin has a quote. He says, they said, how did you stumble on writing? He said, I, um, he said, how did you find writing? And he said, I didn't. I stumbled on writing and writing found me. So that's basically it. I was in fifth grade. And I got to admit, I was a smart <laughs> kid, but I was terrible. Let, let's, let's, let's not whitewash it. You don't be like, oh, I was, I was terrible. And me and my English teacher hated each other. It was an agreement. Like, and so in fifth grade, the poetry section and they're going through by last name. My last name is Rucker. Okay, I ain't got to read a poem. No fifth grader wants to read a poem. Last day, she was like, it wouldn't be a class if we didn't have Mr. Rucker's poem. I'm like, hold up, you can't do that. And I said, she said, I'm the teacher. I can do what I want. Read your poem. I read the poem. It was a haiku. She asked me to stay after class. She said, can I have it? I said, why? You know, I'm thinking I'm in trouble. Like, I don't know what I said. She said, it was beautiful as long as I'm teaching. I will have this on my wall. So in fifth grade, you know, I'm a kid's mind. Wait a minute. Poetry makes people who hate you love you. You can get things if you write poetry. So I went home and wrote haikus. I'm like, I'm going to get everything from her. And next thing you know, it turned into a notebook, into a duffel bag, into a trash bag. To, you know, and, you know, like years later, I'm addicted to it. It was my first girlfriend, my first best friend, my first therapist. <laughs> And and then when poetry, then all of a sudden hip hop popped up and you're like, oh, hold up. Wait a minute. That's nice. <laughs> and then you like now all of a sudden we're switching. And I have to be honest, too. I switched because I was we were breakdancing, but I was the worst breakdancer in the crew. They're like, either you got to get out or you got to find something to do. And they're like, well, you write. Can you rap? And I'm like, of course I can. Never rap before. <laughs> and then I started rapping. And I loved it. And so I was an MC for a minute. And while I was in a group, we messed up like four record contracts. 
And, you know, and so what we do with any bitter, jilted lover, I'm never rapping again. I'm going back to poetry. It's better. But I, cause I was pissed that we, we messed up four record contracts. I was like, I'm just done. I'm never rapping again. And, you know, I went back to my old girlfriend, you know, though I, that I never left. I was always cheating on hip hop with poetry. It's just me and poetry, you know, that's my girl. If, if I, you know, in a relationship, understand I have a mistress. I don't care. We married. Dating. <laughs> I'm going to be up at night. I'm going to be talking to her instead of you. That's just the way it is. So I just, I don't know how to stop writing. My my demeanor and my mood is based off of my writing. You know, if I'm not writing well, if I'm not creating well, I don't feel well. Mm. You know, so now it's just part of my DNA. So how did you, so so where does the, 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 their, the psychological stuff come into? Like, how did you know that that was the path too? Well, the thing about it is, again, I, I guess I'm a person of intuition. One of my friends in college was part of a Big Brother program because he worked at a group home. And so he basically called, we had the brew crew. I didn't drink, probably the only one in it that didn't. And he walked into the brew crew like, I got kids that need Big Brothers, y'all volunteer. You know, it's your boys. They're like, okay. You know, so <laughs> next thing you know, we had all of these kids from the group home coming down to the college, we're running, doing stuff with them. And I liked it. And, you know, I needed a part-time job in school. I mean, a job in school. So I'm like, are you guys hiring? And I never left mental health. I went from working as a child care worker to working into um, a, a, a mental home, a, a psychiatric home for children. Then I ran a unit at a girl's home. And during this time, you have to take continuing education in psychology to maintain your credentials and do it. And, you know, so I never stopped working with kids in the mental health. So I always did them in tandem. And I had a, a mentor who was a professional opera singer, but he always worked another job. And I was like, dude, you travel all over the world. And he said, listen, if you got Lionel Richie money, you need to make sure you have something in the bank. So he said, I work this, so I'll have social security and maybe a pension from them. And then I'll have my artistic stuff. And then when I get old, I'll be able to retire. He said, but until you hit the jackpot, always keep a second job to pay into and make sure you have another source of income, like retirement age and that. So I did it, but I actually loved it. And so at one point, you know, I switched from computer science and math to social work, then went to psychology. And I did my bachelor's, you know, and you say, I'm done. Then I did my master's, said, I'm done. <laughs> then I did my doctor. I'm like, okay, I have no choice but to be done now. There's nothing else, and I'm not going back to school. So, you know, and so I've always done both in tandem when I'm not performing. And I was living as an artist. I still, like in New York, I worked with the police athletically and taught poetry and stuff on the weekends, you know, in the different um in the different boroughs and helped them put together poetry anthology. So I never stopped working with children. And so it was, and it works because let me tell you something, as a poet. We're psychologists in our own minds anyway. We know mm -hmm. the world's problems. We know their issues. We know how to fix them. Not ours, because poets are terrible when it <laughs> comes to that stuff. But we can fix you. We know what's wrong with you. We know how to, everything, all your issues, romantic issues. Like, <laughs> we can be divorced and on our fifth fifth marriage, but we can write a poem to tell you how to love who you with. So, you know, it was just, now, now I just got the papers to be able to say what I've been saying. And I can say, now I know what I'm saying is correct. Not, not that I was ever wrong, because poets are never wrong. Just, I want, that's for the record, poets are never wrong. All right. 
And so, it so just... <laughs> you're so you're so right. Like I'm a poet. I get it. I everything that you said, I'm like, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. So talk to me, um, Anthony, about um what what is your who is your favorite poet? And 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 what kind of poetry resonates with you? I mean, are you one for the love poems? Are you one for the revolutionary poems? Are you one for the, you know, the Mary Oliver, deep thinking, who am I, esoteric kind of poets? Like, what? who are you? So one, um, my motto is this, life is my canvas and I can write whatever. I so I'm the person, depending on where you go, I'm a revolutionary poet, I'm a love poet, I'm a comic poet. It depends on who, who sees me. I write about life. Now, love poetry is one of those sticklers because most people have such a nascent and elementary idea and concept of love that it becomes redundant. So like when I do workshops in schools, like high schools, I'm like, y'all can't do love poems. And they're like, why? I said, because it's 50 of y'all. And after the 30th poem talking about <laughs> flowers, bees, and kisses, I'm not even reading the rest. I'm just ripping them up. So until you can have a different expression about love, a mature idea, personal concept about love, don't write love poems. But let me tell you, between Shakespeare and Pablo Neruda, Pablo Neruda <laughs> has a collection of love poems. And I kid you not, Reggie Gibson, the, the guy who um, Love Jones is based off of, one of my best friends, we were up one night and we were talking about poets we like. And um, Pablo Neruda has this book of love sonnets. Mm, and I have it. Hey, and we sat up and, you know, two grown men reading love songs to each other, digging. We're like, man, if people saw this, it was crazy. But then afterwards, he like, well, I got because I was visiting him because he's in Massachusetts. He said, I'm going to chill with my wife, you know, have fun on the couch. And I was like, wait a minute, dude, that ain't right. Like, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I don't have a favorite poet. I have favorite poets. I mean, my goodness, like just go on that one. I love Octavio Paz. I love um. I love Pablo Neruda. You know, I love, you know, the last poets, you know, Abiyo Noon, Oyewole, and Omar Ben Asada, my godfathers. I love them to death. I love the Mary Baraka. Um, you know, then, you know, oh my those goodness. are those are men. Oh, hold on. Don't because right because right on my stand over here, I go get the collective works of Sonia Sanchez with her band. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Um, but you know, it's it's just so many and contemporary. My girl, girl is Patricia Smith. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I like to steal her pen and, and say I did it. Um, <laughs> you know, and so as we all would, yes, yeah. And so I, I, so I have, like, I'm looking around. I have so many books of poetry, like my contemporaries and people. You know, um, you don't know, like it's um, a sister out here called Yellow Woman, and she mm. so undervalues her um, her writing. But I'm like, girl, let me tell you something. You got a pen. You know, and so me, I just I like poetry. I'm I'm a groupie for the word, you know, so I just like good poetry. And if it's good poetry, I will read it and I will stay in it. It's a sister out here named um we call her V. She um's at the um was it the um the uh spot in the Merck Park, uh world stage. And she has some of the most beautiful poetry, V Kali. And in one of her poems, she said, how dare you love me like God told you to? Now I'm like, just do that line. Just, just say that. Just say that again because she's going through it. So, I mean, it's like, I just like poetry. And I'm going to read it as long as it's good. You know what I'm saying? And 
that's it, you know. So I, I really don't have a favorite. I just have a whole bunch of people that I like and that I read, you know, and I love discovering new poets, you know, finding other people's books. So I have, I have a collection of contemporary poet books that out, you know, that that's bigger than my of, of famous poets. I just, I, if you got a good poetry book, let me know. I'm gonna read. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like poetry is 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 coming into its own, is having its own renaissance? Like I'm I'm getting the sense that poets are are being revered once again. Do you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like they're center stage these days. We got the Grammys now. Look, watch it. <laughs> Literally, and it's funny because everybody who's nominated for a Grammy has been doing it for years. You know what I'm saying? But we were competing against, you know, um, Hillary Clinton and um, Michelle Obama reading, you know, books. And it's just like, we ain't getting, we ain't beating out the first lady. It's like, come on. So now we have our own, um, our own area now, you know, so now spoken word is just its own section. And it's crazy because everybody who's nominated I've known and performed with and seen on the scene, you know, and know personally. And it's just, wow, like it's coming back. And, you know, it's in stuff now. Like um, I was actually featured on, um, you are you familiar with Tales, the BET um, series? It takes hip hop songs and they turn them into half hour, um, half hour dramas or comedies. And no, so, I don't know this. Yeah, it's Tales on BET. And okay. two of my friends, one of them, Patrick Coker, is um, he was the most infamous like poetry host in New York. He hosted the um, Brooklyn Moon, and from what I understood, was slated to um, host that poetry jam. But they wanted like a famous person to do it. But him and another friend, Adam Weizen, were directing it. Like, hey, you know, we we got this poetry section, and so the my poetry and the poetry of Jessica Caremore was featured. And it was on last year during it, you know, and I mean full blown reading almost the entire poem, featuring and showing the books. People were like, wow. You know, so it is coming back, you know, but I like it now because there's a venue for it. Like before, mm. we were in crevices and corners. You know, we're trying to sell, <laughs> we're trying to sell CDs out of back alleys. Like, please buy this. And they're like, a poetry CD? What is a poetry CD? <laughs> like, it's a CD with poetry. Just listen to it. And so now... <laughs> With SoundCloud, like I said, Spotify, all this other kind of stuff, people are hearing quality work. Like, wait a minute, it's some good stuff. And before, you got a lot of bad stuff with a lot of good stuff because let's be for real, we weren't recording artists. You know what I'm saying? You know, we didn't have a bunch of engineers. A poetry CD was literally your boy who had a studio, maybe in his bedroom or her bedroom, and you go in there, they make some beats, you just rap over them, or I mean, do poetry over them. And then you're selling it, and then you want to make money. So you're selling the CD that be, should be sold for $5 for 15 And then people pay $15 for that, and they're like, I ain't paying for this again. But now, like, we have real studios. We have people who really are in the art of song making and turning poetry into an audio, not just a, a, a literary form, and they're doing it well. So now it's like, wait a minute. Yo, go check out this poetry CD. And it's not a big distinction between the quality of a CD you're going to buy um, like from a famous artist and the CD now you buy from the poet. Mm-hmm. You know, digital, you know, digital world has made us put us on even playing fields. So now people are willing to spend their money because the quality is there. So poetry in the next couple of years, 
it's going to be back to where it was during the Love Jones and the Poetry Slam when that was the thing. But it is working its way back, really. I, I do get that sense. And, and, I, and I, I, give me your thoughts about the effect that, that deaf poetry, deaf jam poetry had on, on, on the genre. I mean, because it, it, I mean, it, it took us to a place that people had not experienced before to sit in an audience and hear various people spit their poet poems out there. It was just, and every week, you know, we tuned in and it was exciting. I mean, who knew that it would be that exciting? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I'm torn. Because one, when they did that, attendance at every poetry venue, even the one like in the middle of Egypt in the corner, everybody <laughs> got, you know, the attendance was there. But the bad part about it was everybody looked at it and said, I could do it. <laughs> and so now everybody was a poet. Like, no, you're not. Like, you are an audience member. Like, you can work on being a poet, but, you know, so then it became a fad and then it kind of just it kind of watered it down because everybody was getting into it you know when you have problems identifying who and what you are and you see something successful you go do it so then all of a sudden now we have more people to parse through and it wasn't people who were necessarily serious about the art but were infatuated you know or mm. fetishized the art and then you had people coming up doing stuff so at a venue I had you know you, the DJ could cut you off if you got up there and it was clear you didn't work on your stuff and you just up there trying to say something the DJ could cut you off and they look at me like what are you doing it's like he cut you off what do you mean what am I doing I mean it's over you know and so that's my feeling that, that's very harsh <laughs> yeah but the thing about it is I mean hell in Chicago there's this one place and I forgot the name of it my, um, Reggie told me about it they were like if you know the next line of the poem say it because you shouldn't be able to predict someone's poem all the way through. And if they can't predict too many of your lines, they stay and then tell you to go write better. And so the thing about it, it was a seriousness. Even like Mark Kelly, the person, the guy who started Slam, he started it because he was a serious poet who was shunned by academia. And he did it as a slap in the face. Like the scores was just, you know, that was just a fun thing, but it was just, it was like a sarcastic knock on you know, academia grading us and tell us we're not good enough. You know what I'm saying? But always in the slam, be like, the scores don't matter. It's about the poem. And so what happens is back in the day, people who were in those venues were serious poets who were shunned by academia, but who wanted a light to be shined on, who wanted an out, outlet for their art and their work. And then it became, you know, everybody who had, you know, who wrote a poem in the corner all of a sudden got out and all of a sudden it's like, you know, it's cool. You write about your emotions, but if you're going to put this out for public consumption, you should also be serious about the art. I shouldn't have to listen to your poem and be like, I felt that. And that's the only thing I can say. I should be able to say, I felt that and I appreciate the artistic intent and work you put into it. But now, you know, it became the thing where it's just expressing emotion and you can express your emotion no artistic quality whatsoever, no metaphors, no images. Maybe like, that's a great poem. And it's like, we can't reduce the art to being prosaic where there's no art. You mm. still have to write. You still have to have poetic technique. You should still know something about poetry. 
you know, your claim to fame as a poet shouldn't be, I don't read other poets. You know what I'm saying? I just write because I don't want to sound like anybody. Would you imagine somebody in basketball saying, I'm not going to watch Bird or 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 um, Bill Russell or Michael Jordan or or um, Allen Iverson or anybody like that because, you know, I don't want to play like them. Like, are you crazy? I mean, you don't want to, of course, you don't want to be them, but incorporating some of their greatness into yours and turning, you want that. And so, you know, the, the problem now is we have to be on some level guards to make sure that what we're putting out is good as far as emotion, but more toward the quality and nature of the writing so it can sustain itself. Because emotion, as let me tell you, as a psychologist, emotion gets played out. At one point, you get tired of listening to emotions. You're like, please say something concrete. You know, please say something <laughs> that's worth listening to. I don't want to have to feel my way through this. Let's work. Through. And so that's where we're at. And so it is coming back. And that was a long answer. It is coming back. I predict in the next two to three years, it will be at its it, it, its peak. It will be bigger than it ever was. The problem is just like how hip hop got aborted in the middle of making the baby. We have to make sure that poetry doesn't go the same way. Cause now that you can get a Grammy, and you know, and because there's very few to pick from that are quality enough for the Grammy, it's going to be a lot of people trying to flood that. And if the the mediocre or the trite starts making it, then you're going to have a flood of record companies and other people who are opportunistic flooding the market. And we mm. don't want that. So now the goal is to take our biggest and brightest and shove them in there so they build a taste for it. So when they get up there, they'll be like, oh, no, we, we don't want that. We, we want this. And so that, that's where we're at. But it's, it's coming back. It is, it is going to be mammoth. It, mm. it's, it's, it's a takeover happening. Trust me. I so appreciate this conversation, Anthony. I, uh, it's a great way for me to sort of celebrate hip hop's 50th uh, anniversary. And it's hard to believe that it's 50 years. But uh, it is nice to sort of see people who who we're at that moment and moving us toward another moment of uh, reimagining what the art for, form is and, and bringing poetry along too. I like that. Thank you. Poetry is a sexy girl, let me tell you. <laughs> it's a sexy woman right there. That, well, that was I'm right a, there, boy. I'm going to say poetry is home. my guy. I'm going to say that. Poetry is yeah. my man. How about I have, that? I, I, I have a poem that starts off, poetry is my girlfriend, and I'm looking for a woman who makes me want to cheat on her. <laughs> I, I don't know, Anthony, that might get you in all kinds of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically speaking, like that, yeah. that could go all kinds of ways wrong. <laughs> yeah, the fidelity in that statement is real terrible, isn't it? Like, yes, I don't I don't know how you I don't know how you explain, baby. It's just poetry. Like I'm I'm too. I'm just oh, I talking do. about hey, poetry. Hey, and one of the lines said, I like you almost more than poetry. Is that a problem? Oh! <laughs> See, I think you have to go, I think you have to find somebody who is well-versed in poetry to understand that. Otherwise, you're going to have some hurt feelings. <laughs> oh, I do. And, 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 and literally, because I'm divorced, but literally every, every woman I dated was like, why do you have to go perform so much? Why do you Dude, I mean, that's just like, I don't tell you not to go to your job. Like, leave me alone. Like, 
Like, but you're always going to an open mic. You're always performing. You're always going someplace. I'm like, you know, you don't want to look at him like, listen, you can go. <laughs> you know, what I'm like poetry ain't go. Poetry's not going anywhere. So that, know, that so. means you have to, you have to, you have to align yourself with other poets who understand what is happening. That's yes. that's that's my my uh, my my two my therapeutic two cents right there. <laughs> I will take that into consideration. <laughs> Anthony, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm so yeah. glad uh, that you were on this morning. And uh, I look forward to Dear James, and I hope it does well. Thank you. And I appreciate this. This was a fun forum. Anytime you, when the play comes, if you want me to come back, we can do that. But yeah, I would love great. to. Yes. I, uh, I, yeah, great. you got to come back because I want to hear about the play. I want to yeah. hear about that. No. And uh, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your. Uh, your week and uh happy MLK weekend. <laughs> yes. That, it's nice to be able to say that, you know, it's like that's why and considering at one point he was considered voted the most hated American in the world and see that he has a holiday now. Yeah. It, it gives and, you a whole so, weekend. Yes. You know, in our yeah. community is a whole weekend. Yeah, you know, we celebrate everything. Your birthday is your birthday month, you know. Yes. <laughs> and for us, MLK weekend starts Black History Month. Yes. <laughs> We start. We start with Black History Month. We we. This is what it is. So. There it is. Thank you, Anthony Rucker. It was thank a pleasure. You. you too. Take care. Take good care, Harry Drowles. Thank you so much. I will see you tomorrow. And uh, y'all be good out there in these streets. And uh, read some poetry. You know I love poetry. I'm a poet. I love poetry. And I love poets. I'll see y'all. Love, love, love.